Federal contractors who ship stuff often overlook or don't put a lot of bother into compliance with obscure federal shipping rules. Now, with a refreshed federal emphasis on Buy American, that could be a costly mistake. We get details from Thompson-Coburn attorney Jana Marie Rust. Ms. Rust, good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. And what you have written about, what you're advising people about concerns shipping on ships over water, correct? Yes. I had provided some insights earlier to folks about what the Cargo Preference Act requirements require, both under the FAR-type contract and DFARS-covered contracts. And the cargo preference clauses are actually more than one clause and more than one statute, fair to say? Yes, that is definitely true. There is statute that applies to military contracts or Department of Defense contracts, and that's the Military Cargo Preference Act. And then the Civilian Cargo Preference Act is the law that governs civilian covered contracts. And a lot of people cite the Jones Act. Is that part of the civilian side or is that something else altogether? I mean, it is part of the federal government's Ship American type policy, but it's not a clause that is specific to government contractors. So contractors would need to comply with the Jones Act, but it's not going to be something that's going to appear in one of their contracts as a FAR or DFARS clause. Okay, so let's go back to the Civilian Cargo Act then, which would apply on the civilian side. How old is this law and basically what does it require in different shipping situations? So it's a law that's been around for almost 70 years, I think. It was passed in 1954, and it was an amendment to a previous law. It basically requires the government to ship at least 50% of the gross tonnage of all government cargo on privately owned U.S. flag commercial vessels, and the government then passes that requirement on to its contractors through a FAR clause. And that could be shipping from overseas or to overseas and also within the United States. I guess there's canals and things you might use to ship. Correct. The Jones Act would typically be a requirement that already requires the use of U.S. flag vessels for shipping within the United States or even port to port in the United States. But then the Civilian Cargo Preference Act is really going to be what governs whenever there's shipment between countries. All right. And uh, I guess... In military, that would even apply more frequently. And what about the Military Cargo Act, pretty much uh, analog to the Civilian Cargo Act, or are there special military provisions in there that don't apply in the civilian side? Well, so the Military Cargo Preference Act has a higher percentage of requirement for the amount of cargo that needs to be shipped on U.S. flag vessels, and that requires that all cargo be shipped on U.S. flag vessels. And I guess the question that comes up is, does the U.S. shipping industry have enough capacity? Because it's pretty small compared to, you know, most of the ships you see are are registered in Panama or Turkey or, you know, almost everywhere but the United States. Yeah, so the most of the shipping industry has been moving away from the United States over the years. The number of U.S. flag vessels has decreased over the years, and the share of U.S. flag vessels as comparison to the rest of the global flag vessels is shrinking. But there is still a healthy number of U.S. flag vessels available. The question is, though, sometimes are those vessels going to be able to meet the schedule that a contractor needs? And sometimes to get a U.S. flag vessel to transport the cargo may mean a significant change in schedule or may require a significant amount of planning in advance to make sure that you can use a U.S. flag vessel to meet your needs. We're speaking with Jana Marie Rust. She's an attorney with the law firm Thompson Coburn. And what happens 
if you don't comply, what are the penalties? And I guess I want to get a sense of how often contracting officers check this kind of thing. I guess I'll try to answer the first part first, as far as the penalties, is something that a contracting officer has some discretion as far as what actions may be taken. There could be a determination that the contractor is not responsible. There is some case law that suggests that contracting officers can make such a determination. Contracting officers can also require payments back to the United States as far as the difference between the amount for the shipment on U.S. flag vessels versus foreign flag vessels. So there's a couple of options and probably even some more options beyond that. I think those are probably the more typical or likely scenarios to occur with probably the payment being an even more likely scenario. And then as far as how often does this come to contracting officers' attention, it does come to their attention sometimes. It may come to the attention to the contracting officer through the program. It may also come to the attention of the contracting officer through some I don't want to say lobbying, but some action by U.S. flag vessels or owners of U.S. flag vessels who are trying to make sure that contractors are complying with these requirements. So there's a handful of ways that this can come to their attention. But as you mentioned at the top of this discussion, there is also an increase in attention to buy American or made in America or domestic preference, however you want to call it, laws and requirements. And this is one of them. And it is something that does have the attention of folks on Capitol Hill, as well as in the White House. So the Buy American Executive Order, which like all of these executive orders that have been coming out is voluminous and a lot of language in there, but that does discuss shipping by flag carriers. I don't believe that the executive order itself does, but a recent Office of Management and Budget memoranda does discuss this in the context of that executive order. So it's clear that folks in the White House are considering this to be part of the Made in America policy that the Biden administration is looking at right now. And do contractors ever have an out? For example, suppose they say, well, the requirement was that this material needed to be received by December 15th but there wasn't any American flag carrier leaving until December 14th. And so therefore, to be on time to fulfill the main part of the contract, we had to use the Panamanian Clipper, which left December 1st. There is a process under both the FAR and DFARS clause to obtain waivers for these requirements. The process for going through them is different for each clause, but the question is going to be, is there a different way that this could have been achieved? Is there a different product even that could be purchased that doesn't need to be shipped via these vessels? And then once there's been a consideration of a number of different factors, then a waiver may be granted. But most likely, it seems as though those types of waivers are going to be the type that have to go through the Made in America office that the Biden administration is in the process of creating. So those type of waivers are going to be under more scrutiny. And I suspect that that means that contractors, as they ask for these, are going to also be facing more scrutiny themselves. So like you said earlier, it's better better to plan ahead than try to go after a waiver. Yes. And it's going to be, I think, even more difficult to obtain a waiver after the fact. I think there are possibility for that to happen. But I, because of the waiver process now being much more visible, I think it's going to be even more difficult to obtain those waivers after the fact. And I guess worst of all financially would be to make up the emergency by shipping by air. Yes. Although for some of these items, it 
probably wouldn't even be possible to ship by air. A lot of, I think, the types of items where this can come up are the construction type contracts, or I should say the construction contracts, and the weight of the items is just going to be too significant to use air. Yeah, steel-reinforced concrete columns don't fit very well in an airplane, (laughs) and they may not get off the ground. All right, interesting insight. (laughs) Jana Marie Rust is an attorney with Thompson Coburn. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. I appreciated it. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. 
and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> um, 
During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.